0: Good morning. This is fun. Um, this is our our first service kickoff of the year. Uh, love that you guys are here. You're at the 9 a.m. crowd, which means you're more spiritual. Uh, so way to go on that. Good job, guys. Uh, way to love Jesus more. Um, okay, so here's what I want to do. Um, uh, we're gonna just unpack uh, one verse today. Uh, this semester we're gonna be going through the Book of Hebrews. And so yeah, all right, woo, Hebrews. Um, and so with uh, with that. We, we hear, we just, we love God's word, right? We stand on God's word. Literally, whenever we built this building, a fun story, we actually put a Bible where I'm standing right here when we were pouring the foundation, me and Francis and a whole bunch of us that were on staff at the time, we came and we put a Bible in a Ziploc bag and we put it in the, literally in the foundation before they poured concrete. There's like a whole thing. Anytime Christ Chapel builds a building, they figure out where the stage is going to be and they put a Bible there. So if you need a Bible, there's one under the concrete here. Um, we also have Bibles out there for you guys to take, too, if you want them. Um, but uh, we, we love the Bible. We believe in the Bible. And so we're going to preach the Bible. And so we're going through the book of Hebrews, and we're going to get through uh, most of it this first semester. But we're not even going to fully finish it this semester because we're just going to take it a, a verse at a time. And so next week, all of chapter 1. I'm going to chew through all of chapter 1, and it's going to be awesome. And your brain, my brain has exploded multiple times in studying it, and so hopefully yours will, too. Today, though, I was like, you know, before we jump into an entire chapter, let's just do one verse, and so we're going to do one verse in Matthew chapter 13, so if you got your Bible's head there, uh, I want to tell a little story while you're going there, Matthew chapter 13, and that is uh, that is this. Um, I, I tell the story a lot, so if you've heard it, I apologize. Uh, it is a often, is a story I use often at dinner parties, um, and it was a wedding that I, I went to, my cousin's wedding, <clears throat> I showed up, it was uh, on the other side of the metroplex, so we live in, like, West Fort Worth, and it was, like, over on the other side of Garland, on the other side of Dallas, and so me and my dad showed up, and we rolled up to the wedding, and it was at like kind of this outdoor venue, and we rolled up, like, maybe two minutes early, and so my dad and I are, like, walking up to, to the wedding, you know, basically on time, um, and we were walking up, and one of my other cousins was handing out the, the worship, the little programs, like, the wedding program thing, and my cousin looked at me and was like, hey, you know you're officiating this wedding, and I was like, ha! <laughs> because, oh, singer. and I looked down at the program, and there was my name, officiant, Ben Fuquay, I was like, Whoa. people have bad dreams about that, like, some of you have bad dreams, that, like, you're going to show up to class, and you're going to, like, have a project due, or you're going to have to get on stage, or do something like that, and you're not prepared, or you walk into work naked, or something like that, you have weird dreams like that, this was a reality for me, I showed up to a wedding, and I realized, as I was walking up to the wedding, oh, no, I'm officiating, how does this, and (laughs) how it even happened that I was able to show up to a wedding that like seems like I should have been made aware of that at some point, Um, it's a long story, we can talk about that over coffee some other time, but the point was this, I showed up, it was, I've done some good weddings, I'm gonna be honest, Um, I've done some really good weddings and I just felt like, man, I knocked that one out of the park, this was not one of those weddings, Um, this was a total disaster and train wreck, but their marriage is still good, so yeah. Um, (laughs) Here's the thing, that idea of surprise, right? That idea of like that feeling that we've all had, that nightmare where you like show up and you're like, oh no, I wasn't prepared for this. I wasn't aware of this. I wasn't dressed for this. I wasn't thinking that this was going to be my role here. That fear is real, right? That fear is real. And so many of us kind of at times have those struggles. What we're going to do, and specifically this first week, is we're going to talk about the clarity of man, what can we expect? Not just from this ministry and this year, but what does scripture say about what he expects? And what really does it look like to be a part of this Christian family? What does it really look like to be a part of this term he's going to use, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God? What does that mean? Because we are all going to stand one day at the end of our life and give an account And what does that look like? And what's it gonna mean? And what's gonna be asked of us? And do we have the proper expectations? And are we just guessing? And are we just trying to keep the scales tipped in our favor? And so what does this look like? And so with this one verse, I want us to look at the kingdom um, that we're being invited into and just use it as a springboard to talk about those things because I think clarity is kindness. And I I want us to understand and know, hey, here's what to expect and here's what we um, should expect if we're trying to follow Christ. And so it's uh, verse 44 and it's a parable Jesus shares in chapter 13. And in verse 44 of chapter 13, it'll be up on the screen if that's just easier and, and less distracting for you, but one of my favorite parables, this is what Jesus says. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So here's what this one verse that we're studying is saying, right? He's walking along. He comes across a a treasure in a field, which context back in first century Jerusalem, that was apparently a thing. They didn't have banks, and so a lot of people would just bury their treasure in the field, and then they would die, and so there was treasure buried in fields. He finds it, and he realizes, oh, my goodness, this is a jackpot. This is huge. Okay, nobody really cares about this land that much. I'm going to bury this back up, and I'm going to go sell everything I have, to buy that field because what's in there is worth it. And so that's this picture that Jesus is saying, and he's tying it to the idea of the kingdom. And so I'm gonna walk through three huge realities that impact every one of us if we say we wanna follow Christ, that we just get these three realities just from this one verse. Um, but before I do that, I gotta explain the kingdom. And I gotta explain the kingdom in a, in a brief way. And so here's the best way I could think of to explain it. The kingdom of God is this. The kingdom of God is the spiritual rule in the hearts and lives of those who submit submit to Christ as king. The kingdom of God is this spiritual rule that happens in the hearts and in the lives of people who have said, I submit to Jesus as my king. I don't want to be my own king. I don't want to, spiritually, Christ is my king. I'm submitting to him. And in doing that, we then are a part of this this kingdom. And so the kingdom is this thing, um, theologically, there's this concept that, uh, I learned in seminary at least. Um, and it's this idea of already, not yet. And there is a theological reality and a theological tension in Christianity um, where there is the already, not yet. The already is that 2,000 years ago, we believe Jesus was the son of God. He came, he did what he said he was going to do. He died for the sins of the world, and then he rose again. And by raising again those who put their faith in him have eternal life for those who have truly put their faith and trusted and surrendered their life to his kingship. And so when that happened, then there was an already that his kingdom, Jesus, reigning on the throne, had begun in ways that his kingdom is spreading, that God is doing sweet stuff that in your life, real practically, 2,000 years later now, the kingdom of God is showing up in cool ways in this room. I mean, I get choked up in this room, standing in the back, watching a room full of people worship this king, right, that we see glimpses of his kingdom and kindness, and generosity, and grace, and community. We see these pockets and and glimpses of his kingdom, but then there's also this not yet, right? We still live in a broken world. We still live in a broken world. Sin is still there. We are still broken people, right? And so there is this already and not yet tension that we live in, but the kingdom is this thing that we should be chasing after as Christians, as followers of Jesus. We should be looking for it, and trying to figure out where it is, and and how we are a part of it, and what our citizenship looks like in that kingdom. And the way that we become citizens of that kingdom is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most important thing I'm going to say and I'm going to say it every week and I'm going to say it multiple times I'm going to say it at the benediction and I'm going to preach it to myself as much as I can constantly because I am prone to forget it and wander from it. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is the reality that I am dead in and of myself. The reality is that I am not good enough. I'm not worthy enough to be a part of God's kingdom. I am not religious enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not moral enough. And I'm a pastor. I'm paid to be spiritual and moral and I am not. I come up woefully short. And so the gospel is this good news that Christ has said, I know you can't make it. And yet my grace will extend to you if you surrender your life and accept my grace, my kindness. The gospel which we're going to talk about today in interchangeably in ways with the kingdom because the gospel is what purchases us entrance into, God, I want you. I want to be in your life. That's the gospel. The gospel is the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection then of Jesus Christ that's what it is. And, and the gospel gets thrown around a lot in Christianity, that word. It, it also, some people will get confused because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are called the gospels. Those are accounts of Jesus. But when we talk about the gospel in this ministry, that's, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this relationship that we have based on his grace. Not our religiousness, not our church attendance, but his grace because of what he's done. So that, that then um, paves the way, right? That then paves the way for these three realities in the kingdom, subsequently the gospel, okay? So I want you to see these three realities, and this is, this is really all we're going to do today is just zoom in on this one verse deeply. The first reality that we see here from this passage, this one parable, is that the gospel is costly, right? The gospel we see here is this costly thing, Right, he says that it's a treasure, right? First of all, Jesus describes this thing as a treasure. He also describes it. He says that this man sells literally all that he has. He sells all that he has to purchase that field. And so one of the things that we're learning from this and from Jesus, and this is synonymous throughout Scripture, uh, is this idea that, man, this isn't necessarily this easy, cheap thing. And I think that's really important, um, you are going to interact, and maybe you have interacted with people that are going um, to talk about Christianity, and they're going to talk about your entrance into Christianity of like, man, you want to be a part of the kingdom, you want to follow Christ. It's so easy, and they're going to water it down. Um, And I think they're really well-intentioned people who do that, right? I think that's a very well-intentioned thing that someone wants to do because they want you to know that his grace is so sufficient for whatever it is that you struggle with, which is 100% true. But they're also going to really water it down. i (laughs) My story, um, uh, you know, I was I was really when I was a kid, I really thought, okay, the gospel to get saved was this prayer I prayed. I pray a prayer, and that was it. Or maybe I just believe in Jesus, right? Like, okay, my parents told me Jesus is the man, and. Um, I don't want to go to hell, and they told me there's this hell, and so if I just believe in Jesus and pray this prayer. And so th- that, that, I think, is a very well-intentioned thing that you share with, with children, right? Um, in Hebrews, one of the things we're going to talk about is this idea of when, when you're an infant, you drink milk, but when you grow up, you eat solid food. And when we talk about the gospel and we open up Scripture in this room um, on Sundays, we're going to challenge you, and, and we're not going to sell you short, and we're not going to water it down. The gospel of Jesus Christ is costly in your life. It will cost you something to follow Jesus. It is not a prayer you pray and check a box and then move on with the rest of your life. It is not a small category that you can affirm and be like, okay, yeah, I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian and, and then check that box and then live however you want and believe whatever else you want about who you are and your identity and chase after whatever you want. It's costly. This, this parable cost the guy, literally he sold everything. And I think that's really, really important. In Matthew uh, 16, a few, um, we'll put this up on the screen, a few chapters later, listen to what Jesus says when people are asking, how do I follow you, right? How, How do I do this thing, Jesus? Listen to what he says. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? That's how Jesus answers the question. Hey, what's it take to follow you? He doesn't say, just pray this prayer, show up to church, you know, give your offerings, He says, pick up your cross and follow me. In the first century, what that would have meant, what they would have heard is die to yourself. Be willing to lay your life down. Your life is no longer your own. Pick up your cross and follow me. Because if you chase after the world and you try to build your own kingdom, you will lose your soul. And then what will it profit you? At the end of your life, at the end of your life, you look back and you say, look at all I did. And it's dust and it's rubble. And it doesn't enter into eternity. Right? And so Christ makes this really, he holds the bar high and he says, this is, it's a real thing and it's costly. It's not just a prayer you pray as a kid. It's not an emotional experience you have once. Certainly that was my story, man. I, I don't know if any of you guys can relate to this, but when I was a kid, and again, it was really well-intentioned, so I don't beat myself up for it, um, but as a kid, I really thought like, okay, man, I feel really close to God and Marcus was singing, so like, okay, sweet, I'm close to God, and, and then Marcus was sick one day, and then I, he's not singing, and so now I don't feel as close to God, right? And it was this emotional thing that I felt like, oh, my relationship with Christ is driven by my feelings of how close I feel to him, and if I don't feel close or if I feel like i made some mistakes, then I'm like, man, I don't really know. And it was this up and down roller coaster. And so for me as a young guy, I was like constantly like, okay, man, I need to get saved again. And I don't know if I did it right the first time. And I need to do it again for the eighth time. And that was this internal struggle. And I know that's the story of a lot of people. A lot of people. That's the struggle. It feels like this up and down because it's this um, emotional thing. And Christ is saying it's more than just emotion. It's your life, laying down your life, and we're going to talk about real practically what that looks like here in a second, but um, I, I want to say this too. I was thinking and praying for you guys a lot, obviously, the last couple weeks, but even um, this week and uh, even early this morning, um, just thinking about how costly it is and specifically what it might cost you guys who are in college. Um, it, following Jesus Saying, "Okay, I want to pick up my cross and I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a part of His kingdom. I want I want this gospel to really be the foundation of who I am and define me." Man, this call that He calls us to—if um, you're a college student or college age student and you're in that world, there's no doubt about it. It could cost you relationships. Following Jesus where you're at in the world that you live in could cause you re- cause cost you relationships. Um, for my sisters in this room, you know they're some great godly men um, who Lord willing will pursue you in godly ways and then there's other men who, who might just not be ready there right might, they might not understand who you are they might not see you the way that your heavenly father sees you and they might have a different value and a different standard of how they think a relationship should look but God they got a six pack right and they're dreamy right and, and that tension is real and hard and so for you sisters sisters it might cost you some relationships to say, man, I, I am trying to live in this kingdom value where I'm trying, to, I'm trying to believe who Christ sees me to be and live the way he's calling me to live and, and I know that I'm not earning it, but he loves me and he wants me to respond appropriately to how he loves me. and So I'm gonna have some standards and I'm gonna have some boundaries and I'm gonna have, some, I'm gonna have a bar and that could cost you relationships. Guys, the same exact thing for you guys. There are godly men in this room who I look up to, godly college students who I look up to and admire the way in which they, the standards in which they say, man, I'm not just gonna date. I'm gonna pursue a woman towards marriage because I see her as a daughter of the king and those guys are here and they're real and it's a thing and it's beautiful and it's inspiring. But I know those men also struggle because they they don't just date anyone and it's hard and those standards are, I mean, that's a difficult thing. And there's relationships that are going to be cost. There's friendships that are going to get cost. Because if you're following Jesus, he's going to start to shape your values. If you're following him and you're listening to his word and you're submitting to him, and as we're unpacking Hebrews this next year, he's going to shape our worldview in ways. The Bible is going to shape our worldview in ways that it's going to say, okay, I either believe this, I submit to this, or I want to build my own kingdom. And that's costly. It could cost you accolades. As college students, man, I know for the last decade of getting to walk and oversee college and young adult lives, man. There are college students who have happily taken C's in their grades because their priorities are slightly different. And I'm not saying, Flunk, don't tell your parents I'm preaching this message right now. um, But I, I really believe, I believe that you are called to be excellent in school, man. You guys should be excellent and be good stewards of that. I think that pleases God. I think you should... Uh, work your tails off and become the next presidents of fortune 500 companies and start businesses and be leaders and all of those things but also I believe and I think this will teach you too primarily if you're a college student and you're following Jesus you're not primarily a college student primarily you're a follower of Jesus which means you're a missionary And when you're a missionary and all of a sudden you don't see just this campus, whatever campus you're at, if you're at TCU, don't just see TCU as, okay, this is a means to an end to get me to a degree. You see it as this is my mission field and this is where God has me and I want to show other people grace the way that I have been shown grace and I want other people to experience biblical community, real deep biblical community in a way that I've experienced it. And in that, that might cost you accolades and that might cost you grades and that might cost you other achievements. Um, It might cost you acceptance in groups or sororities or fraternities or pockets of community that isn't chasing after the kingdom. And I know that's an easy thing to just like sneak into a sermon application. But that's really hard. And I get it. That's the world you live in. And yet you're called to be set apart. And that is an easy thing to just say, be like, yeah, it's gonna be hard and it might, but there it's your friends and it's your roommates and it's your sorority sisters or fraternity brothers or community or classes. And it's hard when the rubber meets the road. We're gonna be a ministry though that says, we think there's something better. We think there's God's grace, but we think it's costly to follow him. We really do. We're not gonna leave you alone in that. We wanna walk with you. We wanna provide community. That's why we do what we do. But it is costly it's costly and we love you enough to tell you that and we love you enough to not water it down and say yeah it's easy just pray this prayer or come forward it's costly but here's the other reality we see in this parable it's worth it it's absolutely worth it i wouldn't preach this sermon i wouldn't do what i do our staff wouldn't show up and 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 run this ministry if we didn't believe it was absolutely worth it what, what does he say? He says, the man found it, he covered it up, and then look at how important this is. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. That's huge. So a massive part of this is not, oh man, I found this thing, right? This, this in this illustration, this costly kingdom that man, it's gonna be expensive. I'm gonna have to sell everything I have to, to buy this okay, but it's, I know, okay, I'm gonna do it. No, 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 he sees it, and he immediately realizes the worth of this. The worth of this is so much greater than everything he has, and so it says it is his joy. He is happy. He's not begrudging. He is happy because he has a proper perspective of realizing everything he has is is garbage compared to how sweet what he is purchasing is And and that's really important for us to know. If we just think it's costly to follow Jesus and we don't also realize it's worth it, it's joy and not just joy because we get a ticket to heaven, right? Jesus says in John 10.10, Jesus says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But look at this. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's why Jesus came. We don't believe the gospel, follow the gospel, make sacrifices for the gospel because we want fire insurance and we want a ticket to heaven and we want to feel more spiritually superior or morally superior. We do it because right now I'm designed to be living in his kingdom. And when I'm not, it wears on me and it's empty. It's worth it out of joy. Do we believe that? Do we believe that it's worth everything? Do we believe that it's worth at times temporary loss because right now in this life, he came to give us life and life abundantly, abundant amounts of life. That is what college students and everyone else, but you guys probably do it better than any other demographic. You are chasing after life. It's this season of life for you guys where you are, you are free from the, the roof of your parents, most of you, at least a lot of their authority. And then you have this window of time before you all of a sudden are a slave to the working man, right? There's this window of time where you are kind of told by our society, go chase after life. Find it, enjoy it. And you are surrounded by people that are making all kinds of choices to say, I think it's gonna be here, I think it's gonna be here, I think I'm gonna find life here, I'm gonna try this, I'm gonna try that, I'm gonna try this, I'm gonna sow all my wild seeds, I'm gonna chase after all these things. And scripture says, that's what Jesus came for. Not a begrudging religious experience that one day will pay off because we get to go to heaven and not hell. No, here on this life. Yes, eternal consequences, incredible, eternal. But here on this life, in your college experience, I believe with everything I have, we built a stinking building because we believe that your life as a college student will be sweeter and richer and more fulfilled and more filled with joy and more filled with life. If you say, "I want to follow Jesus at all costs," he says, "It's worth it. With joy, I'll sell everything I have." The thief in John 10:10 says, "He comes to steal, kill and destroy, and the thief is going to offer you cheap things. They're going to be easy, cheap things, not costly. They're going to be immediate, immediately pleasurable, and, and they will be pleasurable. And they're going to be immediate and they won't last. And they will leave you empty. They won't help. They won't heal. They won't fix. They'll be immediately enjoyable. And then they'll leave you empty and they'll leave you hurting. And they might not leave you Im- immediately hurting, but they will. And I've walked with young adults and I've walked with college students and I've watched. I've watched the lie. Oh man, college is a time for me to just kind of sow my wild oats and just kind of get it out of my system. You don't, that's not how sin works. You're not getting sin out of your system. You're not saying, okay, this is college. I only get to do this once, so I'm just gonna let loose. I get it. That is that is really attractive. I'm I'm not, that's not lost on me. I I understand that also see this perspective that says you're not getting out of your system you're actually planting seeds and when you're 20 and you're doing those things or when you're 22 and you're doing those things and when it doesn't get out of your system it just keeps showing up and it keeps manifesting and it keeps looking like other things and man I walk with a lot of 30 year olds who are really hurting and really stuck and don't understand why and have a bunch of weeds that they planted we love you we think the kingdom is better. We think the gospel is better. We think it's worth it right here, right now. It's hard, but it's worth it. In he gave everything away because he knew this is, a, this is an easy transaction. Why would I not? I see the value of that. I see the value, so no brainer. I'll trade everything I've got for that. Um, our staff, um, our leaders, our family night leaders, Our family night leaders um, are people who go to Christ Chapel and they love Jesus. And they've made this choice. They've made the choice to say, I'm going to follow Jesus at all costs. And. It's costly, um, but I'm gonna follow Jesus and it is absolutely worth it. And you will, if you get in a part of a family night, you'll get to go and eat dinner with some family with a bunch of college students. who will open up their home and you'll eat dinner with them and you'll just get to be around people who have now maybe 10, 20, 30, 40 years older than you who just are saying, hey, come and eat dinner with us and let us show you a life lived that was worth it. Let, let's also be transparent with all the mistakes that we made in the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years that might be ahead of you, but let's also talk about how it's worth it, right? That's that's why we do that. That's what discipleship looks like. Right? That's what intergenerational discipleship, that's why we have family nights. Everyone should get in one of those. Everyone in college should go and if you were in one last year, great. If it was great, awesome. Stick with it. If it was like, ah, oh, it was awkward, get in a different one. You're not going to hurt anybody's feelings. Your schedules move around. It doesn't matter. Go meet with a family. Spend time. Sit around their table and watch them just love Jesus and love you. That's what family nights are. Be around other people, right? Be in student groups with other college students who are trying to walk out this costliness in a way that's worth it. Okay, last thing. La- last application here. Last um, reality of this passage, is this. Um, we know that it's costly, right? We see that. He sells everything. We also know he sells it out of joy, so we know it's absolutely worth it. Um, we also know the gospel is accessible, and this is so important for us. Um, the gospel is accessible. This isn't a distant reality that you have to earn or strive for, when I sit here and talk about this life and this kingdom and th- this way that we are, our hope is for all of us, including myself, to keep growing and looking more like Christ, um, it's not this distant reality where it's like, oh man, one day uh, if I could only get there. S- so many of you, especially I would imagine underclassmen, um, your degree, right, finishing your degree, especially if you have plans to go do grad school after it, right, it probably in a lot of, for you, feels like this distant reality, a ton of work, but you're just gonna put in the work, right? Just step after step, class after class after class. You're just gonna keep doing it and eventually it's gonna be worth it and it feels like this ladder that you've gotta climb and that's good, right? That's not what the gospel is though. The gospel isn't this thing that I've now got to earn. It's not a degree to accomplish, right? It's a relationship that is available to me now. I didn't earn it. Titus chapter three, verse five says this. We'll put it up here on the screen. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Listen to that. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Man, there's a lot there. But here's what I want you to see and here's what I want you to hear. Not because of the things that we did did we get saved, right? Not because of our righteousness, not because you were good enough, certainly not because I was good enough, But according to his mercy, he looked at us and said, I love her. I love him. That is my boy. That is my girl. Out of mercy, I want to save them. I know they can't be righteous enough, so I'm going to go to them. Jesus said in chapter 14 of John, uh, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus entered into our brokenness. Our God was distant. And this beautiful gospel is, I will send my son. He is God in the flesh and he will live a perfect life and he will die a death. Historically, we know this happened 2,000 years ago. A man claimed to be the Messiah. He died, he was crucified by the Roman government. We know that to be true. And we're in this room here in a coffee shop in 2021 because we believe that man was who he said he was and rose from the grave and that changed everything. That historical reality of Jesus became our spiritual reality because we believe he rose from the grave. And if he rose from the grave and then ascended to God, that means he is who he said he was and the world caught on fire. Something happened. Something happened then where all of a sudden people radically started following him and an explosion happened. People laying down their lives in a costly way. It wasn't popular, it wasn't cool. You weren't gonna be able to meet great girls or great guys or go on cool, go to cool waffle nights because of following Jesus, right? To follow him, to believe he was the Messiah meant you were probably gonna die or get arrested or lose your job or lose your family. And we saw it explode 2,000 years ago because Jesus said, I am the way. And so for us now, still this relevant thing do we believe that Jesus is the way? Not do we intellectually acknowledge, yes, this is the doctrine I'm supposed to believe. This is the doctrine I choose to believe. Have we surrendered? Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 9. Um, it says this. It's, it's often quoted whenever people think, okay, give it give it to me practically, right? Practically, how do I do this, right? I, I doctrinally believe, but does that is that not good enough? I mean, I nod in my head, of course I believe Jesus. Here's what... Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me give you a little bit of interesting context. In Romans, in the first century, if somebody, because I think oftentimes you put this on a coffee mug or a t-shirt or printed, it feels like, well, that seems easy but we know it can be more costly than this, so what are we to do with it? All I gotta do is confess, and I think one of the things that's really important to understand on context here is, man, in this time period for Paul to say, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the word Lord wasn't a religious term. It's a religious term now that we use, but back then it wasn't a religious term. It was a term that they used for political power, right? Caesar was Lord, and Caesar kills people who don't say that he's Lord. That's what he does. That's what the Roman Empire did. They killed people, and they said, hey, Caesar is Lord, pledge allegiance to Caesar, he is your king, and if you do that, we'll let you live, and if you don't, we're gonna wipe out your nation, and you're gonna submit to us. That was the kingdom. Jesus comes, Paul says, confess Jesus is Lord. That was a death sentence. That was people picking up their cross and saying, I believe Jesus is my Lord. And that was costly. That was so costly. That's available to all of us to say, man, do we believe that? Not just do we acknowledge it, but do we say, okay, I am tired of living for myself. I am tired of trying to chase after what I'm chasing after. I'm tired of just trying to be religious enough. Don't be religious enough. That's gonna be exhausting. If you're just trying to earn it with, with being moral enough and religious enough, submit your life to Christ. That's what he asks for. He asks for surrender. And he says, hey, come and follow me. And here's the thing there's not an easy way to apply that to everyone because everybody in this room, that's going to look a little different, right? You submitting your life to Christ is going to look different, right? It's not this blanket thing that I can just tell you, but what I can tell you is don't leave this room without doing some business with God and saying like, Lord, what does it look like for me to submit my life to you? If you've already put your faith in Christ, great. Yeah, you're here. You, you probably have in some level. What does that look like? What's he calling you now to? What are the areas in your life that he says, yes, you're mine, you're my daughter, you're my son, I love you, but man, you are clenching tight to this stuff and I have something better. What are the things that he's saying, let go of and follow me? How do we do that? Do you understand what he's calling you to? A life that's about him and not about you. His kingdom and not about our kingdom. Do you believe he's worth it? Ask yourself that. Don't leave this room until you ask yourself, do do I believe that you are really worth it? You know the cost. And what are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna do about it? My encouragement is that you would draw near to Christ. That you today would just get this better view of the intimacy that is available through Jesus Christ to a God who says, I want you, I have something better for you. And that he would draw near and that you would confess to him God, here's the ways I come up short. Here's here's what I've been trying to get to you. Or, yeah, I'm religious and I'm spiritual, but God, here's these things I'm still holding on to. God, would you help me walk away from? You're confessing to a gracious, a gracious father. Confess. Experience his grace. Receive his grace. Believe his grace. Your sin is not too great. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your summer look like or what your year looked like or how you live. His grace is more powerful. His grace is more powerful than your sin. Do you believe that? Or do you feel just shame of what you've done or what's been done to you or where you've experienced his grace today in a way that sets you free? And then submit to him. Spend time in this. Man, get in community with others. Seriously, man, we don't, we don't plug student groups and family nights because we want student groups and family nights to be a thing, right? Because we, we made these things that we want to fill with people. We made these things, student groups and family nights, because we believe in them. Because we believe that, man, that is what discipleship looks like. And so, man, go get on our Instagram bio and say, okay, I don't know what my next step is, but I know I need to be around other believers who are trying to walk out their faith and learn some of the foundations of our faith. So that's, that's student groups, right? So get in one of those family nights. I want to go be with other believers and I want to go get a free meal and sit around a dinner table with someone who loves Jesus and they're honest about it and they're honest about the ways that they, they suck in their walk with Christ and they're also honest with the ways that God is doing cool, sweet stuff and they will love you and they will pray for you and they will walk through stuff with you. Man, that's the body of Christ. You are not, it's costly. It's hard. But you're not alone in this. You are not alone, man. Get plugged into community. Sign up for one of those things. Let us know. We'd love to get you plugged in. Not because we care about groups, but because we care about you individually. We love you. And we love you because he first loved you. He loves you right where you are. That's the grace of God. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for how you love us. You are gracious and you are kind, God. And even in this one little parable, We see a God who offers us a kingdom through his gospel that, yes, is costly and challenging, but, God, it is also worth it. Would we believe it's worth it, God? Would you do the miracle that it takes for us to believe that it's worth it? God, I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, in this room who showed up here, whose semester is beginning, God. Would you change their hearts, change their lives, bless them, draw near to them? Even as we go back into worship, Lord, would we just, would we really be able to claim that you are stronger than anything else in our life, God? That all the sin that just tangles us up, God, that we feel stuck in so often, whether that's just the shame that we keep carrying around or whether that's the habits that we just can't stink and break, God, that you are stronger than that and that you have broken those things. You have done that. Would we believe it? Would our faith increase in this room this morning? Would our faith increase?